Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 41. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, the trick-buying tactician, Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. I went to the dark side, and it was so much fun. Bro, that was uh, that was an interesting move. You were sitting like two seats away from me round one, playing against Dredge, I guess, and I thought that you were actually playing Dredge because you had this really guilty look on your face. That really guilty look happened when my opponent like dropped half their deck into their graveyard, and then I show and tell Demerkel. <laughs> How did it feel? Felt great. So. Was it the talk about Harambe last week that put this in your mind, or what was it? It must have been. It must have been the Kurt Ape discussion <laughs> that got the the seed planted. Really, I I had been thinking about how Sneak and Show's main natural predator, Grixis Delver, is really just gone from the format, because all the other Delver decks just beat up on it. And I feel like the, the deck was really well positioned, and just to sort of figure out whether whether it was something that I was willing to play or that I wanted to play. I rented the deck, booted up a league, immediately went 5-0 and decided that I was going to play it. So the well I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about my tournament later, but the deck has been good and it is on my radar for Niagara. Yeah, I saw very few Delvers in this tournament. I I tried looking at the uh the data that that Pat had posted on Facebook in the group the other day. And I couldn't tell if there were exactly like 12 or 15 or whatever, but that's relatively few. You know, we're talking about well under 20%, more like 10% to 15%. So I think that was a great call on your part. And I think that people say that maybe Blue Red has a good sneak and show mashup, but it can't be anywhere near as good as Grixis Stalder. I mean, you're talking about a deck with three chain lightnings, four chain lightnings, right? Right. The... Blue-Red Delver builds that have four Spell Pierce are obviously harder to navigate through, but the current builds of Blue-Red don't have nearly as much interaction as the Grixis Delver decks or even the Blue-White Flusterstorm Delver builds. Yep. All right, so first things first, a little housekeeping. Big thank you, as always, to the wonderful Michelle Cove, who lets these events happen. Uh, also, big thank you to Jerry and Pat and Wilson from Cardboard Live who came out here to broadcast again, use their wonderful software. Michelle let us use her space, and it was a fucking amazing tournament, man. We had like something like 155 people there. Uh, over 150, I know for sure. I don't know what the final count was, but eight rounds of Legacy. A lot of great players. People came from all over the place. These dudes came up from Maryland, the Legacy Pit guys. We went out to dinner with them on Thursday night. I say we, I mean uh, Jerry, Pat, and myself. Unfortunately, you couldn't make it, but... Yeah, I got I got to hang out with them a little bit at the tournament, and they were Sweet. they were great guys, and I really wish I could have made dinner, but I there was no way I was going to be able to. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool, man, that place. I don't know what it was called, but shout out to uh place in Natick. Uh, those guys were awesome, though. I, I want to try to get down there this summer because they do, like, uh, the Sarpedian series at Dice City Games, which is, like, a big old-school thing during the summer, celebrating Fallen Empires. So hopefully I'll see them again this summer. And, uh, yeah, everybody who was there, you know, it's awesome. Seeing people like uh, like Keith and, and our buddy Adam and Zach and, you know, just everybody that you see at these tournaments, it's just fucking great. Jason Gregory was there, you know. So fucking awesome tournament thank you so much 
everybody who helped make this happen and who helped to make our charity drive a success, right? Yeah, we we raised almost $400 for charity. The generosity that people showed in bringing canned goods and making cash donations was was mind-blowing. And I wanted to thank everybody that that participated in that. The growth in the charity drives that we've done and the players for the tournament, it's been it's been great to see. I can't wait until the next one. Yeah, and I just want to shout out DJ particularly because a lot of that stuff on that table was his, man. He he like loaded up his trunk with stuff and he's he's just gone out of his way. We still have this counterspell playmat that we Jerry didn't let us give it away. He said no playmats explicitly. So we weren't able to uh to donate it this time, but it's going to be in the future. So the stuff he's done for charity and uh, the rounds of golf we played together, just thank you for that. I would say thank you for main deck duressing me in the match that I played against him, but I'm not going to. because it... Was it a fail? Was it a duress fail? Because he's been trying to get me on team duress for, for a while now. No, it was, it was great. I was playing sneak and show. He duressed me and then he won the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he's a big proponent of duress right now. I think that true name tips the scale just a little too much that I'd still play Inquisition in Esper. But he's been playing, he calls it Junk, not Maverick, because it's a Tarmogoyf deck, and it's more rocky, you know? More like yeah, it a, definitely, definitely just reminded me of the rock and not Maverick. It was sort, yeah. of like, sort of like a mashup between Aggro Loam and a modern Junk deck. It's the it's sort of the best way that I can put it. I think he might have eight or ten main deck discard spells too, which is not Mavericky at all. Yeah, I I definitely saw them. Uh, you miss Indian food though, man. Yo, you I, I sent one. You guys went out. That's great. You invited me. I said I needed to talk to my wife. Ten minutes later, my wife gets <laughs> back to me, and I send you a message asking, "Hey." What is the name of this Indian restaurant? Because I got the go-ahead to go, and then you just oh, ghosted me. You just bro, ghosted me. You said the name of the restaurant, though. You knew what it was. But there were, like, two, uh, and I didn't know which one it was. So all you needed to say was yes, because there were two Indian food restaurants in Littleton, and I wanted to make sure I was going to the right one. Ah, uh, brutal. So my phone was, was in Do Not Disturb mode from playing Magic, so I, I didn't see that till whatever, midnight or whatever it was. But we had a we had a wonderful dinner. I met uh, I met DJ's girlfriend, and you know it was Ryan and I, just four of us. It was uh, we would have we would have liked to have you, man. Me too. <laughs> Thanks. Feel, Thanks. Feels bud. bad, bro. So you 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 have written here new patrons. I don't know what's this about. Oh man! So this weekend, there were so many people that actually came up to me and were like, I. I recognize your voice, which is like kind of like it's cool, but it was kind of weird. I was like, hmm, I, I let me tell you. Let me tell you where you recognize my voice from. But bro, wait, do people do, are people like you're not what I expected when they when they meet you? They they didn't say anything like that. I'm not really sure what I sound like. OK, so I'm not I'm not sure whether or not I I fit a stereotype of what people think or. Yeah, I'm curious now because I, I saw you before I heard you. Obviously, I have I have no idea, but we had a ton of people come up and say great things about the cast, and we had a ton of new patrons this week, and I think that just sort of like 
directly relates to us being at the tournament and, and getting to meet a bunch of people. So I wanted to thank Cody Weatherby, Eli Kaywood, Jason Murray, Aaron Thayer, and, oh man, Robert, I'm going to try to say your last name. So hopefully I get it right in one of these pronunciations, but it's Flaffelgen, <laughs> Fofelgen, Fofligen, Robert, Robert, I apologize for butchering your last name. It sounds, it sounds like it is a, like a Nordic weapon, like, like Thor would wield if. If his his hammer was misplaced, I I just I have to apologize for my pronunciation. Hopefully it came somewhat close to what your name was. But we wanted we wanted to thank everybody who's a member of our Patreon. We we get to do a bunch of cool stuff like the shirt orders that we did in Discord, which are coming in this week. We hired a graphic artist. Shout out to Ben, who actually top sixteen the tournament as well. To do some Bro, logo he top work. sixteen the fucking roof too. That kid's like six three now. Yeah, I mean, when you met him, he was probably what, like fourteen. I guess I didn't think he's he's mature for his age, bro. I, I just assumed he was done growing, but apparently he's only twenty years old and he just had growth spurt. That that took me off guard, but uh, he's a great kid, and I look forward to seeing what he does for us. Yeah, so we're we're going to be doing a T-shirt run that we will announce on the podcast. The polos that we ordered. I, I wanted to make those shirts patron only so people who are in our discord had access to purchase those and we had we had a bunch of people get them so uh, we'll have them ready for Niagara yeah that's sick man I'm looking forward to that well we don't have to be the uh, the band members wearing our own t-shirts anymore those t- those those shirts are nice though I'm still gonna wear mine uh, I wear mine like golfing and stuff but you know it's a sick shirt element. yeah Bro, speaking of golf, you got to get out, man. You got to get your clubs. Yo, I don't have time. I get to play Magic once a month. That's how much free time I have. I want to play. There's a lot of things I want to do. Like, I want to get my life together. Um, <laughs> I want to... There's just... there's. I want to have enough sleep. There. I want to, like, work out and not be fat anymore, man. But it's... <laughs> I don't have any time to do any of that. Bro, hear me out. There's a kennel right next to this golf course, right? You could le- let James, you know, go see the doggies. Like, it'd be like going to the zoo, right? Is that not, would that not work? So you want me to clear it with my wife that I am going to just drop my kid off at the kennel, play golf, <laughs> and then pick him back up? I mean, I don't think he's going to tell on you. <laughs> I think okay. you're good, bro. Okay, you're right. Let's right. do it. Let's do it. So yeah, this was a this was a great weekend. Unfortunately, are we going into tournaments now? Yeah, let's just let's bang bang it out. Yeah. So I my wife was traveling to Indianapolis, which uh, she's getting back tonight. But I had to wake up early in the morning to drive her in, and uh, by early in the morning I made five fifteen. So I actually didn't get much sleep the night before. I just decided to stay up after I drove her in, and. Uh, the last three leagues I played out Moto on Thursday and Friday night, I didn't actually play my Esper list. I played like that Barra Blade list and just like a bug list I was thinking about. And then actually a recreation, like a attempted recreation of the deck that uh, Ross McGee was playing at this tournament because I played against him and I thought it was really cool. 
So I wasn't really set on my Esper list. And then when I got there, I realized I forgot a few sideboard cards too. And then I had uh, the the glorious Bryant Cook in my ear telling me that it was a clear mistake to only play two or three ponders, that I had to be playing four. And I definitely let that get to me a little bit, like thinking about my deck build. So I really wasn't comfortable with the with the 75 that I brought into the tournament. I wasn't feeling great. And I definitely played like it. You know, no, no excuses. Like I played exactly, my finish was exactly what I deserved. Just like a, a four and four, just blah of a day, really. I played against all nice people, you know, great opponents. Uh, I did play some bad matchups. I started out with Griggs's Control, then straight into Post, which is, in my estimation, the, the worst possible matchup for me. The worst one I've played so far, anyway. I think I'm 1-4 I'm in four or 1-5, in five or however many times i played it online, I'm 1-X in X against it. And uh, I, I'm not playing any Wastelands. I just have one Back to Basics on my sideboard, so... Really, I need to hope that they mulligan into oblivion, or my hand just lines up perfectly. You know, it's a uh, it's an uphill battle. So I started out zero and two, then battled back to. At one point, I was uh, I was four and three, but still in like nine prizes, and then uh, I lost my last round. So shout out to everybody I played against. Uh, I played against eight different decks: Death and Taxes, the two that I mentioned already. Uh, a mono blue painter, really mono brown blue painter, a blue white red stone blade, and a couple others. I definitely saw the the look in your eyes as you were putting your sideboard cards into your deck in the morning, and it definitely didn't seem like you normally are, where you you didn't show up with your list ready to go, and you were questioning what cards were going to be in it, and your preparation and sideboard plans are like generally some of the things that you do really well. So I I kind of had an idea that things weren't really together from the beginning of the tournament. Yeah, dude, you just nailed it. And I usually say that even, that, that that's where I, if I'm going to get an edge, that it's, it's usually in like having my sideboard really well mapped and stuff like that. And I really just didn't have it. So it's all on me, really. You know, not, not planning properly, not uh, allocating my time before the tournament, you know, moving on to the shiny new thing. But part of it also is... I'm not anywhere near as sure of Esper as I was two weeks ago. So, Yeah, I was uh, surprised that you didn't just run back the exact same list that you played at the SCG. Yeah, no, I was was honestly closer to just playing Vile than I was to doing that, but I sort of wound up not committing to the Vile plan and sort of half-assing it. So it's on me. It's whatever. Uh, It was a great event. Learned my lesson, and... uh, we're on to Syracuse. No, we're on to Niagara Falls. We are on to Niagara Falls. So your tournament went decidedly better than mine. You were in the feature match area early on, right? Yeah, I um. so I played Sneak and Chill like we talked about earlier. I felt really good about the deck, even though I had only played five matches with it and they were all online. So this is my first time playing the deck in a paper tournament. Obviously, there are all of those jokes from people saying, oh, it's like so easy a caveman can do it. And I will admit that the game plan is not really hard to put together. You know what you should be doing. But understanding what decks... I think I did a pretty good job of, one, understanding what sideboard cards I needed to bring in. Like, I had the ensnaring bridge decks identified, so I knew where it, when I needed to bring in Crater Maker. And that won me, won me a few matches... 
I definitely had some some issues in the mirror. I understood what I had to do, but it didn't work out for me. I'm still not 100% sure how to play against Grixis Phoenix. I understand what's in the deck, but man, the games play out so much differently based off of how much discard they have and whether or not they're on a combo hand or not that I haven't got the hang of playing against it. So my two losses were the actual two finalists in the tournament. So I lost to Adam in the Sneak and Show Mirror where he had the Omni Cunning Wish version and in game three he won with the Cunning Wish. I don't think that I that I was going to have a better chance of winning uh, than doing what I did on the last turn. No, and you called it the Mirror, but honestly it was it wasn't quite the Mirror, right? And I think that that version... I don't know this for sure, but I think that it must be favored, right? Yeah, I mean, probably. There there was a the turn three, or turn... Yeah, turn three, where I played out Arcane Artisan, and Adam wipe away it immediately. If I had another blue card in my hand to be able to um, counter his show-and-tell on the next turn and keep my Arcane Artisan in my hand, I think I just went on the spot. But with the way that my draw turned out, I was kind of land-heavy... And I had to pitch the artisan to be able to forcible to show and tell, so um, that that's just something that something that worked out. But I do believe that the Cunning Wish Omni version is favored in the mirror. But let me just yeah. start off with the first round, then we'll go through it, and I'll talk about the feature match. I'll talk about the Phoenix match and sequencing, and then sort of how my day went. I used to run Magic at a local shop for five or six years, and round one. I played against one of the players that used to show up to that. This person's also gotten me, or trying to get me to start to play at that store that got mentioned on Leaving a Legacy, Web Games in Topsfield. And I actually went in there just to check it out, and the store seemed nice. I wish I had more time to be able to go up there and play, but I'm looking forward to actually having a Sunday off when I can do that. So, Brian was playing LED Dredge, and game one, he had an explosive explosive draw. I had a show and tell that I was able to get a Grizzlebrand in and draw a bunch of cards, but Brian ended up getting me down to two life before I, before I was able to kill him. I believe if he was on the play, I would have lost that game. Game two, I mulliganed to five. I probably should have mulliganed to four, because if I just find a Graft Digger's Cage, I probably just went on the spot. But my 7 and my 6 weren't playable at all. And my 5 was slow, but I figured it was going to be better than a 4, and it, it didn't work out that way. Game 3, I just ended up being able to show and tell Omni, Grizzle, uh, Emrakul, and, and that was it. So I think Brian was unlucky to not hit a Narcomoeba earlier in Game 3, if... He was able to chain together a bunch of Cabal Therapies. I think he was probably going to win. He ended up with four Cabal Therapies in his graveyard and not hitting a Narcomoeba until the last turn, and it was kind of too late. So that was my round one. In round two, I played against Ben Brandt, and he was playing Pox. So uh, yeah. lots, of di yep. lots, of, lots of discard, but in game one, I Flusterstorm to him and then killed him. And in game two, I cast a show and tell, put in Omni, he put in Trinisphere. 
so it slowed me down for a turn. On his turn, I was tapped out, so I couldn't force, and he ensnaring bridged. On my next turn, I hard ca- or I cast Emrakul, paid the three, took an extra turn, played Crater Maker, and blew up the bridge, and then won that way. So, um, Man, it must be nice. Yeah, I mean, it's I I knew that that deck was probably going to be playing something like ensnaring bridge to hide behind just given yeah, sure. what the pox decks usually do so i was sort of aware enough to bring it in and i had it so so i'm 2-0 2-0 i'm feeling pretty good and uh i get called for the feature match for round three now we're the backup feature match i i lose game one where my opponent actually drew three copies of force of will and i thought that i was just gonna slam the door shut in game one because i had won a counter war where my opponent double force of willed what deck are they and what's that they were this is the omni this is the um cunning wish show and tell match yeah just for the listeners okay sorry yeah adam was playing the cunning wish version of the show and tell deck Adam won the tournament, but in game one, my opponent, or Adam, went to show and tell. There was a counter war where we both used two forces, and then I followed up with a flusterstorm. And my opponent had three cards left in hand. I went to go slam my sneak attack on the turn after the counter war, and he had force plus blue card. So his hand when this counter war started was Emrakul, three blue cards, three force of wills. And uh, I I ended up losing that game eventually when my, when my sneak attack got countered. So I was disappointed that I lost game one. I almost turned to show and tell, but I was like patient enough to not jam my Emrakul into play because I wasn't sure if he was blue red Delver or, uh, or the mirror. So all my did he know what did you was, were on? No, I don't think he didn't know what I was on either. So hit, okay. like I was on the play, I played Island Ponder, or I I fetched Flooded Strand Island Ponder. So he probably thinks I'm Miracles at that point. He played a Volcanic Island and cast Ponder, and I was unsure whether or not he was Blue Red Delver or Sneak and Show because I had a a Soul Land, a Flusterstorm, and a Petal along with show and tell Emrakul. And I did not cast my show and tell because I had a feeling that they were on show and tell, not blue red Delver. So I, I didn't jam. And it turns out I just would have lost on the spot because he would have put in Omni and killed me on the next turn. Yeah. But the, as the game developed, he played a preordain and then I was like, all right, it's probably show and tell. So what gave you the show and tell read? What what was it about him? He didn't look like a Delver player. Like, he looked like a combo player. Okay. And he looked like he was examining his hand very closely. Not for, okay, what's my threat going to be? But, like, putting together permutations in his head about how the game was going to play out. Especially with his ponder. Like, you ponder in a blue-red Delver deck, you know what you're missing and what you're looking for. It's quick. And he took such a long time to think about his ponder looking at his hand that I was pretty sure that it was show and tell. Nice. So, I mean, that was that was sort of my thought process. So I didn't jam, and it turned out to be right. Uh, in game two, I ended up winning because I clicked him. 
I had two clicks that I brought in from the sideboard because JPA knows what to put in sideboards. And I cleared out his one non-Flusterstorm counterspell and then sneak attack Emrakuld him. And in game three, we... Oh, uh, this is a... This this game was on camera. I thought that I was in a really good position when I resolved an Arcane Artisan. My opponent had counter magic, but it was just Pierce and Fluster. So immediately he wipe of he wipe away my Arcane Artisan, and then initiated a counter fight on the next turn with a show and tell. So at this point, my hand is two land, force Fluster Artisan. So he cast show and tell. I fluster because I want to keep my artisan in my hand and then he flusters back so I have to force his show and tell and the only blue card that I had left was artisan so that was gone and I ended up countering the show and tell but I have nothing left in my hand so like we just played Drago forever and the only the only way you're casting a show and tell in the mirror like that that early is if you have in my opinion if you have an Omni. He's playing the Omnisneak version. He has more of them than I do. And I just had the gut read that he had Omni. So I sided out three of my show and tells, knowing that they're the better show and tell deck. Uh, but I ended up drawing my one of show and tell. And at this point, I had a I had a situation where I was going to be able to show and tell in sneak attack to put in Grizzlebrand to hopefully draw cards to find Emrakul and kill them all in one shot. So I'm figuring as long as I do I do it this way, he doesn't get a turn with his Omni to, pl to put in an Emrakul, and I'm probably okay. I understand that if he has a Cunning Wish, I probably lose on the spot, or uh, Firemind's Foresight, but that didn't end up happening. So I put Show and Tell on the stack, it resolves. I put Sneak Attack in. I activate Sneak Attack in response, they Cunning Wish, they get Trick Bind, and then they immediately try to cast Trick Bind on my, on my Sneak Attack. And I'm not super familiar with the deck, but I just, I understand how priority works and like who gets to act first. So uh, I, this is something that on camera they like, they thought the, that everything was getting screwed up and they came over to talk to the judge. But my opponent has to reveal what they got from Cunning Wish, and then it's my turn to act. So I knew he had the Trick Bind, and I I knew at that point I was just probably dead. But I needed to get this Grizzlebrand into play anyway, just to just to try to see if there's a chance that I can that I can pull myself out of it. So with my priority after the Cunning Wish had resolved, I activated Sneak Attack again. So now there's two Sneak Attack triggers on the stack, and he can Trick Bind one. Which is definitely the right call. Yeah. Because if he doesn't do that, then my Grizzlebrand is going to enter play with a sneak attack trigger still on the stack. And I can activate Grizzlebrand, activate Grizzlebrand holding priority to draw 14, and he can only trick bind one of them. So I, I would have a chance of hitting that Emrakul in my 7 to put into play off of the other trigger. So it it was unfortunate that I lost that game. My opponent untapped, played Grizzlebrand, drew, and then I was just fairly certain I was dead when I passed the turn. But that mirror match is that mirror match is fun. I know people might not think that, but it seemed like the mirror was one of the more skill intensive matches that I played. 
and it was it ended up being uh, an awesome match even though I didn't end up winning so uh, that was on camera you can watch that game three in the next round I I lose to um, Kelton who was playing Phoenix he was the other finalist and in my in my game one I was Landlight, and I'll give you the situation, and you can sort of let me know what you would do. I have two land in play, Show and Tell, Sneak Attack, Grizzlebrand. What, two lands? Two Volcanic Islands. Two Volcanic okay. Islands. No soul lands. Gotcha. And I ponder, and it is Lotus Petal, Show and Tell, Grizzlebrand. So no land. He, sorry, can you say your hand again? Yeah. Uh, at this point, it was two Volcanics in play. Ponder on the stack. Yep. Show and tell. Sneak attack. Grizzlebrand. Flusterstorm. Force of will. And yep. my ponder was... Petal. Show and tell Grizzlebrand. Yep. Alright. So, I kept... Yeah, I, I was gonna say shuffle, but... Okay, so so here's what my logic is. I knew he was playing Phoenix. I kept and I stacked it this way. I stacked Petal, Show and Tell, Grizzlebrand. So, so drew I drew the pedal? pedal and played it. Yep, drew the pedal yep. and played it. Knowing that if I get Thought Seized or Cabal Therapy, the Show and Tell is the first thing to go. Yep. And I'm drawing Show and Tell off the top of my deck and I can cast it next turn with Force Backup. And if, if the Grizzlebrand goes after that, then you have Grizzlebrand. Then I have a Grizzlebrand right there. So what happened on the next turn was I got uh, Cabal Therapied and Flashbacked, and then yep. Show and Tell in Sneak Attack, be able to protect that with Force, and then draw Grizzlebrand. So I took that line, and I ended up, because of Phoenix's, not having enough life to be able to Sneak Attack in the Grizzlebrand to draw... So I had to use it as a blocker, like an as an emergency yeah. blocker, where I snuck attack, I sneak attacked it in on their turn, blocked their phoenix, which I probably should have blocked their pyromancer because it just ended up getting two out of hand, and then drawing seven and then not hitting. But if I blocked their pyromancer, it would have given me an out to actually draw Emrakul to clear their board. But with the way the game played out, he was able to make too many tokens that Emrakul wouldn't have done it. Gotcha. But that was my inexperience in the matchup. It was a very close decision on the ponder. But it was a bad decision for me to block a Phoenix instead of the Pyromancer when I snuck attack in, when I sneak attacked in my Grizzlebrand. And in game two, I played Island Ponder or Valk Ponder. And and my opponent went Petal, Preordain, Underground Sea, Ritual, Buried Alive, 9U, 9U, Bolt You. Yep. And I was just dead. That's how it goes with that deck, man. Yep. I um game one was really grindy. Uh the discard really, really messed with me, and I was kinda landlight, so I wasn't able to do everything that I wanted to to protect my combo. And in game two I just got blown out. So that was that was a, a bummer because I knew that probably killed me for top eight and I'm two and two, but the the next four matches went went well. 
uh, I played against Aaron Gazinaga, who was playing Bug Control, and they got show and tell in the first game. Standstill? And all I, uh, so, because it was Aaron, I thought it was Bug Standstill. But I guess it was just like Bug Deed Control. Okay. Uh, planeswalkers, some removal. I saw I saw creeping tar pits, so I, I figured standstill, but I wasn't sure if they were there. Yeah, I don't know either. And apparently his list has a bunch of basics, but I didn't see any in game one. Like none. It was just four, three or four dual lands. Mm-hmm. So I brought in Blood Moon, and I cast Blood Moon, uh, and he had all non-basics in play, and then I show and tell Omni Emrakuld. And he ended up getting a bridge in play, but I was literally just waiting to draw more cantrips or Grizzlebrand to be able to wipe that away. Um, so he mulled the five in that in that game, and it just it wasn't it wasn't a real real game. All right, so three and two, I'm feeling better. I played DJ, and DJ and I are at the pairing board talking, and he. He sees that we're paired together and he is visibly excited. He's like, <laughs> yes, I never lose to sneak and show. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like I'm going to get my ass kicked. He's so happy. Did you know like, what deck he was playing? Yeah. He, well, he knew that I was playing sneak and show. He like looked no, at no, me. No, no, Did you know what he was playing? No, I had no idea. Okay. So I, I just, I, I didn't know. So. We sit down, and he's talking about how, like, he hasn't played this deck in a while, but he's literally never lost a Snake and Show. <laughs> and I turn to uh, Show and Tell Grizzlebrand, and uh, his his opening play was Bayou Duress. So he was on the play, he Bayou Duressed me, saw that I had double Show and Tell. Uh, I think that he ended up taking the second copy of Show and Tell, but I put a Grizzlebrand into play. So the dress put... did burn him. Well, I had two copies. It hit, but you didn't. You it... didn't have two Grizzlebrands, though. Okay, you're right. I didn't have two Grizzlebrands, but with the way the game worked out, I think he actually wanted me to cast Show and Tell. Okay. So he. He put in a Knight of the Reliquary off of my show and tell. Gotcha. Untapped, Caracas, my Grizzlebrand, I drew cards. He played another Knight of the Reliquary and then a Maze of Ith. And I was unable to connect with enough. Like, I didn't have enough red mana after his Knights got Wastelands for me to put Grizzlebrand and Emrakul, wait to go to combat, get one of them bounced, and then sneak attack it back into play. So I was one red source short of actually being able to get an Emrakul trigger on him to wipe his board. And I died two knights on the next turn. But I was like, okay, this, this guy's playing duress and cabal therapy main deck. He's got knight and Caracas. I'm like, I'm thinking it's just like agrolome without the red. And I sort of boarded like it was like that game two. I think it was just show and tell Omni, kill you. Game three, he sort of drew like the wrong half of his deck. He ended the game with four Tarmogoyfs in e- either in his hand or in play, and they all got sacrificed to Emrakul. Rip. Yep. So we got there. He was less excited after after the game three. 
So listeners need to realize this has been bubbling since Syracuse, since the ride up to Syracuse, right? With what? With, with regard to the the can't lose matchups, right? Did we? You can cut oh, this did, if you did, want. Did we have a conversation in the car? Well, when I first walked in from Chicken and Waffles and saw you guys for the first time in Syracuse, you were like, "You guys were both like, Ian, Ian, Ian. What what's the Rugdell reverse blue white matchup? Like, who's who's favored in that matchup?" And I I just knew that uh, you got in one of those classic DJ can't lose comments yeah we 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 were having a conversation on the car ride up and dj dj has some strong opinions on some things (laughs) and he has such conviction in his beliefs yeah that i'm glad i beat the shit out of him i love dj i'm just i'm just kidding he's the best yeah okay so round seven i play against goblins and i get sting scourgered and that felt really bad i show and tell and put in a grizzle brand and i'm thinking like this is great i know that they have access to that but my opponent ended up putting in a ringleader off the show and tell getting some goblins that didn't matter and then this is important playing cavern and then casting sting scourger to um to bounce my grizzle brand and in that game with the way that it worked out I had this last turn where I had Omni. Sorry. Yeah, I had Omni. I had Emrakul. And I had access to a bunch of mana. I had a Soul Land, a Petal, and three blue sources. And I had two Preordains, a Ponder, and a Brainstorm. So this is the first time I actually had to like look at my, my cantrips and envision what gives me the most chances to see cards and i'm i'm still not sure if i did this right i was trying to like do the math to see whether or not i sequence correctly and i cast preordain preordain ponder that's what i would because each of the preordains sees three and you can put the ones you don't need on the bottom and then ponder technically sees four yep i i almost cast a brainstorm first and I'm not sure whether or not that was right. Like, I was also thinking about, like, okay, I have one of my blue sources was a fetch land, so I can brainstorm, crack, preordain, ponder. And I, I don't know which one is correct. I wonder if you don't want to ponder first just so that... No, I didn't, I didn't ponder first. I pondered last. Right, no, I know. But I'm just thinking with regard to the preordains because you put those cards in the bottom with preordain and then you shuffle them back in with ponder if you don't hit i wonder if that's like some minuscule percentage but whatever yeah i actually i don't know i don't know what's correct yeah but i didn't end up hitting the show and tell so i lost that game but even though i like basically blew a show and tell with uh my grizzle brand getting sting scourgered i i was thinking either maybe i should have been more patient and just said, can I afford to play around Sting Scourger and tried to dig to draw an Omni and just go all in on that turn. But I, I made the decision to go for it and my opponent had the answer. In games two and three, I mulled the five in game two, but my five was just perfect. And in game three, I also mulliganed, but it was just a, a perfect hand. Like show and tell Omni... Uh, Grizzlebrand, Emrakul, kill you, 
and the the deck's good draws are just so good that it's really hard to interact with. And in my my last round, I played against Blood Moon, and uh, I think that matchup is just really good for Sneak and Show. Yeah, that that's what I've heard from Zach. So, so I I want to apologize for just talking for like half an hour about how my tournament went to people who hate sneak and show the deck i apologize for how many times i said grizzlebrand and emrakul bro well i mean i was just thinking i don't think there's ever been a podcast like a legacy podcast that had quality sneak and show content on it has there i don't i don't want to go there (laughs) i'm just fucking so yeah you all right this is going to be kind of a, a weird question but obviously winning is fun right but did you enjoy the games that you played? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Now, the games were probably not fun for my opponent. I will 100% give them that. But the cantripping in that deck is super interesting. You need to sculpt your hand to where you feel like you're going to be able to resolve your show and tell, and... You need to predict the hate that's coming in from your opponent's sideboards. So playing the game where you... <laughs> it's the hardest part of the deck, right? Yeah. Whether or not you want to cast a show and tell to allow your opponent to put in something like a Blazing Archon out of Dredge or an Ensnaring Bridge out of Blood Moon or Pox or whether or not you want to cantrip to wait to find a sneak attack so you can play without casting your show and tell. Just... It, it seemed like a, a ton of fun for me at least it's obviously not interactive or as interactive as delver like our stone blade like i'm used to playing but there's a puzzle there and that puzzle is way easier to f- figure out than playing ant so I, I i felt like i had fun playing it for sure nice there is I think that the the most difficult you'd probably agree. Well, the, the mirror is difficult too, but like the the Phoenix deck, the blue, it only has probably like a couple of days. It's in the main deck, but it is like a you know a cantrip blue deck with uh, with discard. So like that playing around that Cabal Therapy, for instance, that can probably be difficult. Yeah, Therapy and Pyromancer is brutal, and. I thought that I did a good job sequencing my cantrips to where I gave myself an avenue to win. That was a situation where my experience with the deck came back to bite me. Yeah, it's interesting, man. And I didn't really ask about the pressure at the time. So I, I can understand why you kept that too. Yeah, there was there was a Pyromancer in play, no tokens yet. Yep. And my opponent put in a Phoenix off of the show and tell. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's a reasonable, I guess. So, yeah, what I was thinking, I forget who I was talking to specifically about this, but uh, they were like, you know, any deck is fun if you're winning, you know, to, to play. But they're basically like, you know, I would hate to, to bring a deck like Show and Tell and then lose with it because I wouldn't be enjoying myself. When I lose... I am not going to have fun losing no matter what deck I'm playing. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be playing the most interactive Delver deck and lose. And, like, I won't be, like, salty all the time. 
but I'm definitely disappointed if I don't do well. So if I go to a tournament and I go like 5-3 and I don't make day two, even if I had fun and I played a ton of interactive magic, I'm disappointed that I didn't win. Like, nothing is going to change that. It might feel bad to show up with a deck like Show and Tell and not win, but I haven't had that experience yet. So when <laughs> when that happens to me, I'll let you know. But I I've played I show I showed up with with Eldrazi Eldrazi Stompy because I thought it was well positioned at a tournament. I went four and three or whatever it was. Yeah, didn't didn't prize didn't make top eight and I still. I had a good time for going four and three. I don't think it changed my perception on what deck that I would bring. Yeah, it's understandable. So you want to talk about what top eight did? We already mentioned the finalists because you played against them. It was uh, the Cunning Wish version of Sneak and Show over the Grixis Phoenix deck. Yes. And Cunning Wish was the card that got framed from the event. I actually I so I watched it. Oh, I nice. did not I did not see which which card got framed. Yeah, I, I showed up just at the the right time. I returned from okay. dinner. But uh the quarter finalists I believe were uh Bryant Cook on TES and our friend Blake on Lance and the quarter finalists were uh, Anthony Laverde also on TES. Uh, we had Keaton on mono red, like a Blood Moon deck. He won the uh, the Scrubland prize as well. Uh, Rich Shea, the doctor, with the Esper Vileblade deck that was that, uh, that really deck sweet. was crazy. He tweeted about it and he streamed it last night, and I I checked it out for a little bit. Oh, nice. I, he streamed it last week, too, but I think at the time he was just playing like the blue whitelist that Barrow's playing. Mm-hmm. Not positive on that. But Jerry now, he told, worked with Barra on this list. Yeah, and Jerry told me the night before when we were at dinner that he just played against Rich online and that Rich was playing Esper Vileblade uh, because I was talking about my experience with Esper Vileblade. And I took a look at his deck, and I had gone to uh four strix and two snapcaster and he he had inverted that you know the deck like uh that he and barra were playing they had inverted that and they also had two cambal console of allocation in the main where i was still on like a recruiter of the guard i had based my list heavily on like barra's earlier list and i like a lot of what they're doing uh i I really wanna. I'm excited to talk to Rich with our trip to uh, to. I keep wanting to say fucking Syracuse, man, to Niagara Falls. Uh, when we're up there, I'm really excited to talk to him about that because yeah, there's a lot about that deck that I think is worth exploring. Yeah, it's it is very interesting. I, man, I just, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, there is this really strange tension with like. Ether Vial, but also playing cards like Spell Pierce, Spell Snare, Thought Seize in the main, where, you know, Ether Vial, even more than Noble Hierarch, wants to be deployed on turn one, right? And so you're leaving yourself naked, especially if you're not playing Forces in the main. You're leaving yourself totally naked to deploy that Ether Vial, right? And then there's 
like what are you doing on on turn two exactly right i guess like the the ideal would be that you have a couple creatures in your hand you're waiting for the vial to go up and you have like a spell pierce thought sees back but that's not what you're maximizing your chances of with that deck and that's why i'm really interested to hear how they got to that list and you know maybe maybe you sit on the vial let it cook you know maybe there's there's a lot of uh your opponent's not sure what you're doing. You know, I'm sure nobody knew whether he had Dace in his deck. I'm sure nobody knew whether he had Force's main deck. You know, stuff like that that maybe he was able to leverage in this tournament. Uh, I'm really interested to hear that. Yeah, I, I can get behind that. And maybe it was just that I was fresh off of a tournament with Sneak and Show, thinking that, yeah. thinking that, man, like, this deck doesn't seem like it, it does a good job about playing playing around in Omni. But I guess there's a Lavinia and there's two Palace Jailers in the main deck. So I could just be wrong. But I don't I don't know if that deck has the tools to fight against combo. And I am open to be wrong. And then I want to apologize to Lucas Glover because he was the other top eight player and we don't know what deck he was on. Here, I think it was Glavin. Or Lucas Glavin. I want to say Agro Loam, but I think that I'm better off saying I don't know what deck he's on. Yeah. So yeah, that was the top eight. Uh, noticeable lack of Delver of Secrets uh, that we kind of touched on earlier. But that was the tournament, and it was a good tournament. And thank you to everyone once again. And thank you to you for covering for me because I was like trying to get my deck list done, trying to be nice, like cordial with people and everything. And we had like this, this whole, uh, you know, is the table set up? Do we have the clipboard and stuff? And you were just on that shit, man. And I, I was like, not ready for it. Like I, I was already like doing too many things in my head. Like I was, I just wasn't moving quickly. And, uh, yeah, I feel like I wasn't really involved with that aspect like I was last time. So thank you and Jerry and Michelle and Pat and everybody for covering that, uh, doing the whole raffle thing. Uh, big ups. Yeah, and Michelle actually, she she did such a great job. She took the the money for the cash donations and went to Costco to purchase what the food pantry needed. Yeah. To get to, to get some like extra bang for our buck with the donation, and uh, she brought she brought all of the the donations there. So not only did we not have to worry about lugging all of the groceries and um and handling the money, she did all of that work in addition to hosting and running that tournament. So big big ups. Yeah, for sure. And I was there yesterday too after we finished golfing. Uh... Just playing some alpha in the store, and Michelle was hanging out with us, and we had a grand old time. It was a it was a regular party, and you know she's uh we're just we're lucky to have her here doing these tournaments and all that. And yeah, thanks to everyone who traveled for this event. Like I said, those dudes came up from Maryland. I know Bryant flew in from Montreal or where the fuck he is, far away. Um, anybody else, dude? Was that was that dude who was talking to you? Was that that guy Norna? No, okay. I think that was Oren, wasn't no, it? No, no, no. 
I'm talking about when I was playing my feature match, there was some dude talking to you. I talked to so many people, I don't Yeah, it's all know. good, but it's whatever. Uh, also, we, we solved the mystery of uh, who Phil Lesh is online, because I was wondering that for a while. Because he was playing that uh, the Esper Jailer deck that I was talking about earlier. It's actually uh, former League of the Legacy Open champion Ross McGee. And uh, yeah, he's super cool. And I was thinking, man, maybe we, should, we should call our uh, our patrons the Deadheads, maybe. Why? I don't know, because it's the dead format, right? Oh yeah, we are the dead format. Yeah. Can we? I. Uh, we could. Yeah, Deadheads. Do we? Do we need to come up with a name for our patrons? I think so. I mean, I th- yeah, we could have like different tiers, like uh, the Phil, the Phil Lesh tier, and the Jerry Garcia tier, and the other Grateful Dead member tier. Yeah, this sounds great. So, yeah. So, actually, you know who I think I was talking to during your feature match? I think it was Jason Aldrich. Okay. Awesome. I know that I talked to him a few times this weekend. I don't know if I was talking to him during the feature match. But I remember watching your match and, like, crying a little bit on the inside as your opponent got Meekstone and (sighs) shut out your true name. And then slowly made tokens and ticked up Karn. I was like, oh man, this is not going well for Ian. I drew my 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth lands on the turns where I needed to find like a cantrip or a true name or something. But yeah, it wasn't great. And actually the first game was absurd of that match, which wasn't on camera. But uh, I sort of ran him out of resources. He'd ran me out of resources. You know, I'd, I'd pierced, snared, and forced spells and he had a grindstone on the table and i had a jit on the table with a snapcaster in hand and a spell snare in hand so at the end of his turn i flashed in the snapcaster and brainstormed didn't find like a force or anything but equipped the jit swung in i'm sorry i'm off by a turn he goes Top decks a painter servant that I snare. Then I flash in the snapcaster and brainstorm. Put the jit on, get two counters. And he top decks uh, another painter servant, so back to back painter servants. So that I was naked to that after not finding any sort of counter magic on the uh, the brainstorm. And I only had two counters on the jit, you know, because I was, I was basically making a calculation that I just needed to swing two times with the snapcaster. So I feel like that was an unfortunate loss in game one. In game two, I took an extremely conservative line with the uh, engineering explosives on two because I was naked to the combo otherwise. And it wound up just completely biting me because if I could have put it on zero or one, I could have escaped with that game. But such is life. You live, you learn. I probably made the wrong play there, but uh, I was fearful after... uh, after the game one experience. So I, I generally, uh, I enjoy that matchup and I'm never ready for it when I play against it. So it's, uh, it's always fun though. Yeah. I, I have not played that matchup. So I am 100% unsure. Dude, I actually played it twice when I was playing the vile deck and I was upset because I was like, man, I really want to get like reps in against decks. I played a lot of like dredge and painter and stuff that, was really lopsided 
I had two leagues. They were both three twos, and I felt like I didn't learn anything about the deck from playing the leagues. So I just wasn't ready to play it in the tournament. I I understand. So yeah, that was uh, that was my tournament. Actually, I played one very interesting game against Miracles, where uh, he stuck a turn four Jace, and the game ended up coming down to decking. Uh, and I never got the Jays off the table, although I I would have. I, I ended up having a true name in play with a JIT, and uh, he was uh, like three cards in the library at that point and scooped. So that was uh, one of my more interesting matches of the day. But other than that, nothing really stuck out. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm still really up in the air on what I'm going to play for Niagara, man. Like something in my head is just telling me to play Stifle like a Grixis Delver with Bob Stifle. I don't know why. I think because I had the most fun playing that online. But I also just love casting Stoneforge Mystic, you know? Yeah, I'm right now between Blue White Delver and Sneak and Show. I want to try out the Cunning Wish version, which I think I'm going to be doing this week. But we we only have a few weeks left, and we have to lock it in at some point. But Not a few I weeks, am... bro. We have like 10 days. Okay, we have 10 days to lock it in and uh we're we got to get we got to get that stuff locked in. Our listeners need to know. We can't we can't record next Monday without having our decks. Yeah, something in me is saying that I absolutely will not have my deck by next Monday, but I, <laughs> I have no excuse because or no, I do have an excuse. But whatever. I, I'm going to be in Connecticut this weekend, but I will, uh, I'll definitely be grinding a bunch of leagues this week. Good. So you want to talk about what happened in the wider world of Magic this week? Yeah, we we did have some Magic played outside of gaming, etc. this weekend. We had a Legacy Challenge, we had a Legacy PTQ, we had another paper event that I watched the stream for for a little bit uh, at Fire and Dice, I think. And uh, and then we had some league results too that I don't know if we're gonna get to today. Yeah, so the the legacy PTQ that you mentioned, this was like one of the strangest events I think, because it felt like nobody knew about it really, right? Well, so remember remember how I said that the quarterly was the same day as the leaving a legacy open, and that you couldn't play in both. I mistook the Legacy PTQ for that event. So the event that I was talking about was this one. And I I had confused it looking at the schedule a few months ago or a month ago with the with the, the quarterly that was happening. Yeah, so this was coming off of the quarterly that we just were talking about. This was another huge online, you know, high stakes legacy tournament uh in some ways higher stakes right because the quarterly just qualifies you for a playoff to to go to the pro tour and this was a straight ptq basically so very high stakes and it was won by cliffy playing ant which much deserved obviously one of the players that when you play against them on moto you know that you're in for a fucking battle because they're a great ant player uh, JPA uh, took second again with uh, with that show and tell build. Is that is that where JPA lives now? 
Like, his home is second place always. I don't actually know JPA at all, so I don't want to pour any salt, but that, yeah, that's got to hurt. Well, I don't know if that's like, I mean, obviously, like, you don't want to finish second because you didn't win. But being that good and consistent to one being in the top eight of everything and making it to the finals of the last, like, four big events that have been online, that's, I mean... It's pretty impressive. Their their success is one of the reasons why I decided to pick up Sneak and Show to play it this week. So, shout out to JPA, whose list I literally just ripped off card for card. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, but I wasn't sure. It's It was JPA's most recent Sneak and Show list uh, with zero changes because they know what they're doing. Anyway, so uh, in the top four, the other two decks were uh, the Stifle Grixis Delver deck with uh, three Dark Confidants that I was just talking about and uh, a Maverick deck. That was that... Dan Neely, right? Uh, it was Dan Neely, yes, you're right. That is pretty close to a deck that uh, I believe uh, Julian had posted about last week, doing really well with. And it seems like the green-white Maverick deck is kind of the consensus build right now, which I think is interesting for a few reasons. This one is a four Thalia list, and... There's a lot to like about Maverick right now, honestly. You know, it's got at least as stable of a mana base as any of the two-color Delver decks. And then you add in the Mana Dorks on top of that for, for extra sort of Blood Moon protection when you, you know, happen to have fetch lands and they just slam a Blood Moon. So you can get underneath it with uh, Bird of Paradise or Noble Hierarchs or what have you. It's a Green Sun deck, so, you know, and Stoneforge Mystic, so you have your toolboxes going. It seems like one Sylvan Library is consensus right now, so I don't really want to call it a Sylvan Library deck exactly. But these lists, you know, it's kind of solidifying into close to a 60, I would say, which is interesting. And I really wonder, you know, is this a deck you're going to think about going into Niagara Falls? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good deck. I'm not going to consider playing it. No, but for playing it against it. Oh, sure. Like, you, you need to have a plan for Maverick. You, I don't know if you are likely to play it. I think if I was guessing a number, 3 2% pops okay. into my head. Like, See, I, I was thinking maybe it would be closing in on 5 because it seems like a deck that people like, right? I mean, obviously people like blue decks the most, but a lot of people have this secret affinity for Maverick strategies, I feel. Um, yes, but I mean, 5% seems high. Like if you just go through all of the decks that are in legacy and like say what you think the percentage is going to be, a lot of the times those numbers will add up to much, much higher than, uh, a hundred percent. Oh yeah. So like, even, even if that deck is, uh, five five percent the odds that you play against it once is slightly higher than 50 50 if you play if you play 15 rounds right so 
the the deck it kind of stretches you like i was talking to our buddy tom cairns today about like sideboard plans for maverick he's playing his bug deck of course uh he was talking about it though also from esper's perspective like how you're boarding against maverick and when i played against uh ethan in syracuse i said that i was surprised that he had uh green sunned for a gaddick teague at one point in our post board game and he's like well I think Jace is the card that I'm most afraid of for your deck, from your deck. And I'm not sure if he meant like specifically in that situation because it would have been good or just in general, but it seemed like he really knew the matchup pretty well. And I was surprised that he went and got Teague because he actually had board at that point. So I'm not sure why he would be worried about force of will. I only kept like one in post board anyway. And I had, I believe cut one Jason and left one in. But uh, I was surprised, and that's that's leaving me to uh, sort of reconsider how I'm boarding against them. Because you have that whole choke angle, which can really be a bitch if you're on a blue deck, you know? You have to worry about potential turn two choke. And, you know, if you have to play around Pierce, you can develop slowly. A lot of times they have board on you. And they, they don't have the density of X1s that Death and Taxes has. So Zealous is great against them because they have Hierarch and Mom and Thalia. But it's it's not like you're wiping out everything but the Stoneforge Mystic, right? Because they have stuff like Scoos and Pride Mage and Knight of the Reliquary especially, where Zealous doesn't actually do anything, you know? So it, it can stretch you, not not quite as thin as Aggro Long stretches you, but it can really stretch you in the post-board game. So I think that I'm going to need to have a solid plan for that deck in Niagara Falls, whatever deck I end up playing. Yeah, I agree with that. Because you can definitely, uh, you know, get get into your sideboard and be like, oh, I kind of want to bring these eight cards in, but what the fuck am I taking out? You know, that that's what kind of deck Maverick is. Yeah, like you, you obviously, you want to have a plan going, going into it. We want to move over to the uh, Legacy Challenge on Sunday? Yeah, Topher, again. Not coming to the uh, Leaving a Legacy on Saturday, which I'm not even sure we had room for those guys anyway, so, you know, fuck Adam Wallace. We, Adam Wallace is a valued guest. You take that back. <laughs> I love Adam. Uh, no, nah, I'm just fucking around. But those guys didn't come down, which is funny because they're like staples of the Leaving Legacy Opens in one case but that we've had. it was, it's like, it's warmer outside. They need to change out their sled dogs and their sleighs uh, because they couldn't make it all the way down from Maine to Acton because there there isn't snow on the ground anymore. Interesting theory. Yeah, you might be right. We'll have to check with the main people for that. The main. Am I going to piss off everybody from Maine in saying that? All 11 of them. <laughs> so, yeah, Topher won this event with the much maligned Blue Red Delver deck, but he was splashing one Underground Sea and two Bitter Blossoms in the sideboard. Yep, this was uh, Clay Spicklemeyer's deck. Yep. And exactly. I. I like I've seen a few blue red delver splash builds. One of them was splash black with bitter blossom. That's the most popular one. But another was splash green for Sylvan Library. Did you see that? Yes, I did. 
I absolutely did. That was really cool. That was uh, Ancient Grudge and uh, Sylvan Library off of One Trap in the Main. And, and uh, I think that that's something I had never considered, honestly, but something that seems really cool to me. I, I want to say that that was Eric Virgo. Is that true or not? I think you're right. Okay. So Topher's build here. Four Delvers, three Terramanders, three Young Pyromancers, and three True Name Nemesis for the threat base, which I really like. I thought the, the, the full complement of Terramanders might have been a little overboard, and he's not playing light up the stage, so that, that Flying Man turn one is a little less useful based on that. So I think that that's a safe step. I was even thinking of going down to two in that in that deck, just you know, to have the density of turn one threats. But Terramanders can get a little a little clunky and a little uh, underpowered. I, I think is is sort of the consensus now on that card. So you know, I I think I like seeing three more than four. But other than that, anything about this deck that you wanted to discuss? No, I think the the challenge decks didn't really show much new technology, right? Like agreed. It was, they were good players playing the decks that we know. I didn't even see anything really special in the sideboards that I wanted to talk about. No, you're right. And I only went down to eighth to be fair to, if there's somebody in ninth with some sick shit, I'm sorry. I missed it, but uh, in the top eight, it was eight decks that I absolutely would expect to play against. So, And players who you'd expect to play against. Yeah, and Dan Neely, obviously. No, that was the other event. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the league. There were quite a few decks in the league that got my attention. There uh, are always a few decks in the league to get people's attention. Thank you for not making that personal. No, okay, okay, I, yes, I did not mean that to be personal, I'm just like, if it's in the league and it gets published, it's some weird shit, like, <laughs> you're gonna get one person for each of the established archetypes, and then you're gonna get all the fucking crazies. So, first of all, this isn't the wildest list, but tracks playing, I don't know what to call this deck, Rug mid-range i guess you'd call it with uh i'm sorry this is a pretty crazy deck really it's uh it's rug it's it's got 23 lands though the threat base is snapcaster tarmogoyf and true name nemesis and that's four tarmogoyfs and four true name nemesis we saw this deck last week oh okay i missed it then that's didn't we bad. talk about it maybe when you did the cast with adam you talked about it and i didn't hear it Oh, it could have been that. Yeah, we. I have definitely seen this list before. We definitely I, talked about it on the cast. That makes sense then. All right, we we can maybe skip this then. It's it's definitely crazy. It's you pretty not, wild, right? Yeah, you're not. You're not incorrect to be like, what the hell is this deck? With one crop rotation and two intuition doing with a thespian stage in a dark depths 
But I yeah. guess you can intuition for one loam, dark depths, and thespian stage, and eventually get there. It's a pretty sweet package, right? Yeah. Or you could just, you know, play a stage, and they're like, what the fuck is going on? That's but anyway, true. so Wang, Wong, I'm sorry if it's if it's pronounced Wong, uh, 5-0, with, this is like the rug mid-range deck that I misspoke earlier. When you talk about, like, punishing punishing rug, I guess, this is more like the, the decks that I sketch in my notebook. Where the threat base is similar, there's four Snapcasters, uh, two True Names, and three Young Pyromancers in this deck. So, sort of all the mid-range rug threats you'd expect to see, except you don't usually see rug mid-range decks. Uh, sometimes Clash will play one, but this deck had uh, two Dak Fadens and uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor. So, you... Uh, Expect to see Punishing Fire, and you actually do see Punishing Fire in this deck. Along with two Mox Diamonds. Does that trigger you? No. I think it's great, yeah. Two Mox think, Diamonds, two Engineer Explosives. You need to hit, what, is it like 26 lands to play four of them? That understanding yeah. you can have less less land to, to support a smaller number seems fine. Yep. And then uh, Academy Ruins. So you have two Engineering Explosives in the main. So that's pretty sweet to have access to an Academy Ruins. And you're playing a Loam deck, so you could always get that back. You know, it's not as vulnerable to Wasteland as, as it was like when I played it in Esper, for example. It's true. And then, you know, you have to play 22 lands because you're playing some number of Mox Diamonds and you're playing one of each basic and um, two islands, actually. And a mountain, sorry. And more like controlly spells. Like you still have a couple lightning bolts, you still have four punishing fires, but then there's like a actual counter spell, an intuition, uh spell pierces and spell snares. There's a beacon bolt. Do you know what beacon bolt does? Uh is beacon bolt the one blue red sorcery that deals damage equal to the number of like instance and sorceries you have in your graveyard and exile and it jump starts yeah okay then yes uh, i do limited all-star pretty sweet list man this is kind of like like i was saying like what you sketch when you think of like punishing rug you know this is kind of like a a more traditional punishing rug mid-range deck i want to i say more traditional because i think that it's more of what what you'd think might be in the deck but i don't i'm not sure that we've actually really seen anybody play it before it's just uh it seemed like it might be there yeah a deck like this is going to get a ton of equity from your opponent not really knowing what's going on yeah if they're trying to google your list they're going to find all sorts of crazy shit well i mean you just you see you see how these games play out with the cards that are in this deck and you're like did they just not draw a Delver? There's some things. I'm sure Tom's smiling seeing that deck fade, and he's a big proponent of that card. Yeah, so so is Strifo. Yeah. Just, uh, the, he was on Everyday Eternal talking about his quarterly win, and he definitely talked about how underrated deck was in a fair mid-range deck. 
Yeah, it's, it's really good. But the uh, other decks that I want to talk about, we talked about two rug decks, and I want to talk about two Esper decks that I thought were particularly interesting. Uh, Yozo, who I feel like this is at least the third shout-out, maybe more we've given to Yozo at this point. Always trying some shit. This is an Esper list with all cards that I've tried in the last three weeks. But this is truly no training wheels because this is a Esper Stoneblade deck with no true name nemesis. And three Lingering Souls, a Soren Lord of Innistrad main deck. So this is approaching like Esper token territory. He only has eight creatures, uh, two Snapcasters, four Stoneforge Mystic, and two Tassiger. So he's able to play Supreme Verdict in the main more confidently. So it's more like an Esper token control kind of build, you know, if that, if that makes sense, I guess, to listeners. Uh, more hard control spells, like there's uh, the full complement of Source Splashers and a counter spell, Chase the Mind Sculptor. But really this is, you know, it's Esper Blade, but it's a really different build than, than what I was playing. And I bet it plays out very differently. Yeah, there are so many different ways that you can take your Esper Legacy box and build the deck. I mean, you you are the type of player who can look at this double Batter Skull deck and be like, yes, this is a deck <laughs> that I want to play. I, man... You talk about no training wheels. I'm not sure whether or not this deck can ride in a straight line. It's just so all over the place. <laughs> like they're all they're all good cards, but this ugh. Ugh. It's it's yeah. It's it's a little bit out there, but I like One, it. Two, it... three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten one ofs in the main deck. Yep. Sounds about right. No, I'm just I'm I'm just pointing it out. I thought it was sweet. But it is sweet. But you you understand this deck a lot more than I do. I have never played Esper Blade. So I I never really got the draw to it. It's certainly not for everyone, and this is especially, I'd say, not for everyone, because you don't have the true name, right? This is uh, very much like a sidestep control deck, and it's interesting because when we had Lawrence on last week, he was referring to the true name Nemesis Arms Race, and this is kind of sidestepping that, right? Because what I saw, personally, at the Leaving Legacy Open was the blue-white Stoneblade deck starting to splash red for you know, three or four pyroblast effects. And this is focused on not having, like your biggest threats are Lingering Souls, Tassiger, uh, the equipment obviously, but Soren Lord of Innistrad, stuff that's not getting pyroblasted, right? Is Tassiger good? Dude, in my testing, no. Okay. Because it, it seems like a card, in my experience, that seems good on paper... And then, in all practicality, you just wish was a Gurmag Angler. 
I don't think I've played two consecutive leagues with it. I think I've I've tried it like four times now, three or four times, and I never play it for consecutive leagues because I always end up playing against Caracas decks and just hating my life. So yeah, that that's my opinion on it. Really, I I don't think I've activated it once yet. But the the other Esper deck, I have the Fire. This is similarly not a true name nemesis deck. And this is more similar to what I mentioned earlier that uh, that Ross McGee was doing, except this isn't going for Palace Jailer. This is a, a Thief deck. It's got three Thief of Sanity with four Baleful Strix, one Jace Fringe Prodigy, and three Snapcaster Mage. And then five Planeswalkers. So we've got Jace the Mind Sculptor, Kaya Ghost Assassin, Lily of the Veil, and two Last Hopes. For uh, him to Turok, one Toxic Deluge, two Thoughtseize, and then Source of Plowshares and the blue cards you expect to see. So this is very, very Esper mid-rangey, right? Like this is this is Esper mid-range Planeswalker deck. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's Esper Thief. It's yeah. what you would get if you took Eric Landon's The Epic Thief deck and added white to it yeah and and then at you know played five planeswalkers too i guess but what that deck might play four planeswalkers anyway right i know he plays a couple lilies i don't know how many jays yeah i'm i'm also unsure what what do you think about this kaya <sighs> dude i don't even know I, I've never cast that card before. Ben Brandt swears by it in, in like a dead guy deck that it's it's better than the other options because I'm always trying to talk him out of playing it. <sighs> I don't know. I, I actually was, when I was testing uh, dead guy, I was impressed with the, the three drop Kaya a lot more than I thought I would be because I was just putting cards in for fun. And that card actually did some work for me. But this four drop Kaya... It's it's such a contextual card. Like it, it's so innocuous on its own, right? Kind of like an Eldrazi Displacer or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I I don't know. I I really don't. I also don't know what to think about the Cascade Transmute Artifact Thopter Sword deck. Oh Jesus. That- almost reminds me of remember when the four color stone blade deck was seeing a lot of play and somebody played a shardless bant stone blade list yeah i played against that deck in seattle actually in uh when i went to the legacy preservation series i played against someone on that deck and i didn't really know what was going on until game two yeah this this deck reminds me a little bit about that sort of idea but playing Playing Shardless Agent and Transmute to get your Thopter Sword combo into play, it seems great. I just, again, this is another one of those decks that, I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. I don't know either, man. So anyway, man, did you go back and watch your uh, your match that was on uh, Leaving a Legacy coverage? I did, just to see if I made any glaring misplays i i don't think i did uh obviously i'm not super experienced with the deck so somebody else watching can point out mistakes that i made 
but I think they were they were pretty clear cut decisions, and I went for it on the turn I went for it because I put my opponent on Omni, and giving them more time to find a show and tell when they had a Beseju in play just felt like a losing proposition for me. Yeah, the Beseju was a big factor. I remember that now. I was watching that whole match over your shoulder, so I had forgotten about that Beseju. That was yep. a critical piece. So, so yeah, I'm I'm happy with how I played. I would take a few lines back, but uh, but the day went well. I had fun playing the deck. I I do not have any disdain for people who play show and tell. I I think there is still a lot of nuance to playing the deck. Obviously, you get those games where you just slam show and tell and you win, but in the other games, the sculpting that you do before you go off is extremely important. Good, and interesting. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I uh, I didn't go back and watch my match because, you know, Michael Jordan doesn't read YouTube comments, so that was that was my logic. Does Michael Jordan go 4-4? <laughs> Bro, he, he came back wearing the 4-5, so maybe. Okay, maybe. Yeah, the Wizards, you 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 can compare yourself to the to the Wizards, Jordan. Yeah, I'll right, give you that's that. fair. I, I can compare myself <laughs> to Darylor, too, the old 4-4 the old four, four legend. That was uh, That's what I felt like on Saturday. I felt like a Darylor for all you Fallen Empires fans out there. Yeah, getting getting your black spells needing to cost an extra mana. Yep. And yep. uh yeah. I uh big fan big fan of the Darylor. Underplayed for what it's worth in uh old school, but Well, I mean yeah. it's just like a worse Urnum, right? Yeah, but it's you know, it's a different color. Like colors aren't free always, you know. And that that's true. If you're only reaching into black for like tutor and twist, like a lot of decks are uh it's 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 pretty free to have those two cards cost one extra mana so i think it should get a little more love anyway is there uh anything else we need to talk about before we wrap no i i just hope that everybody was not put to sleep by all of the talk of the (sighs) show and tell play uh i want to thank everybody who came out to the tournament again and I'm just I'm really excited to play in Niagara. I can't wait to meet up with everybody. Dude, it's gonna be a blast. Uh, I can't wait for our house and everything. I'm I'm glad that I committed to this weekend finally. So I also wanted to thank everybody who reached out to us on Twitter or we got an email I saw, a Discord. People from Cleveland or who have lived in Cleveland or in the Columbus area or whatever, who were like, yo, there's these people playing old school, there's people playing legacy. I got at least three messages, probably more, uh, from people that were just, you know, ready to welcome me to Cleveland. So that was exciting. Of course, my wife just went to Indy, and now that's her first choice. So <laughs> anybody in Indianapolis, holler at your boy. Uh, I'm a little so less hopeful. We need to figure out where the best non-New England legacy communities are so you can... You can ship your wife over there, so that will become her next first choice. Well, it's got to be Seattle, right? Okay, I, that, I, that's I, like a quality community. I've, I've I seen would that agree. Community. 
So, yeah, Seattle is in her top three, with, along with Cleveland and Indy. So I think I'll be all right. I'll survive. Bro, you know what I was actually just thinking about? What? This, this is the the first episode where the uh, the podcast is, is older than either of us, right? No, number 40. Number, number 40, 40 really? Yeah. Uh, my math is fucked, then. Yep, 19. Nine, yeah. Never <laughs> so if people want to get in touch with twitter and wish you a happy birthday ashley do that <sighs> it's not for a while it's not for a while but you can find me on twitter at tsmileymtg you can find the cast at dead format cast if you want to send us hate messages about how you didn't do your job and let me play sneak and show how can people get in touch with you? Bro, I, I want to say the sneak in that deck apparently stands for sneaking around your teammates because you wouldn't even tell me what you were playing before the tournament started. I wanted it to be a surprise. That is sneaky and show, bro. Well, I didn't I didn't know that I was playing it until the night before. I, w- I had blue-white Delver all sleeved up and ready to go. And then I rented the deck on the league and I was like, all right, we're doing it. And I sleeved it up Friday night. And then I wanted to be sneaky about it. I wanted to be like, I don't want anybody to know that I'm playing sneak and show because I wanted to show up and have my first round opponent be like, I know exactly what you're playing and like be all ready for the Delver and then just get wrecked. Yeah. That's, you, that's what I wanted to happen. Yeah. This is like a thing you're doing now. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't mean it to be a thing. <laughs> I just, I've been trying to play decks that I, I feel like are well positioned and it's it's nice to be able to have a range of decks that you can play. Bro, with all the Blood Moon and Aggro Loam, like we got a meta breakdown from Pat. With all the Blood Moon and Aggro Loam and stuff, I think it was a good call. So, you know, just uh, you happen to play against a couple decks. So a couple, couple uh, finalists. Winning 75% of your matches. Yeah, can't complain. That, yeah, you can't feel bad about it. So, yeah, Ian18125 on Twitter, deadformatcast at gmail.com. Hit us up in the Discord, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a wrap. Yep. We will see you all in Niagara.